Three, two, two, one. one. Dr. CB. Yo, Donnie Phillips. We back in the shanty. Yeah, we're in that shanty with uh, like 20 degrees outside. Yeah, uh, maybe less inside. Yeah. I can't feel my toes or my noses. <laughs> Cold as a mug up in yeah. here. Got the heaters turned off. Yeah, we're going to have to knock this out quick so we don't come down with a bout of hypothermia or something to that effect. Yeah, I think uh, I think our listeners will be appreciative of the cold so that we can oh yeah i see get yeah. through this joint yeah that'll pressure us to get through attachment today huh yeah attachment it's uh valentine's day yeah so naturally let's do an episode on attachment <laughs> naturally yeah man we're crushing it this year we come out with grief and then hit them with attachment on valentine's <laughs> <Yeah>. day <laughs> it's like yeah. it was on purpose almost yeah 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 <laughs> two yeah. just securely attached people talking about attachment on valentine's day <laughs> i guess <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun one to look at for sure. Huh? Yeah. Well, uh, should we just jump in with some definitions? I guess so, huh? Um, golly, man. How about Wiki? Yeah, Wiki. Uh, you don't want to start with the Urban Dictionary? Well, I'm going combing through the Urban resulted in the same thing that I usually experience when I go through the Urban Dictionary, which is a feeling of like, I don't know that I can share all this. <laughs> I don't know if this is usable fully. This seems very wise, but I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I they're not wrong, quite, right? Like what they're saying on the Urban D is not wrong. I just don't know that it would be, it would quite match a quick and nerdy episode necessarily. Okay. Not on brand? Not on brand. Um, so loosely, it could be referred to as um, a partner of some sort. Yeah. It could be referred to as a body part or um, an instrument carrying marijuana. Yeah. Is that? Okay. So I guess we, I guess we went for it. I guess we went for it. And that's like in uh I don't know. That would be the PG version. Okay. Well, thank, you, thank you for that. Yeah. yeah I'll jump in with uh, the wiki version. Then. Please do. So the wiki version is the that in, in talking about attachment theory, it's the most important tenet um, that young children need to develop in a relationship with at least one primary caregiver giver for normal social and emotional development. Blamo. Yeah, there's like a um, combing through definitions. There was one that was pretty well stated on Simply Psychology that says attachment theory is a lifespan model of human development, emphasizing the central role of caregivers, attachment figures who provide a sense of safety and security. Attachment theory hypothesizes that early caregiver relationships establish social, emotional, developmental foundations. Yeah, yeah, that, that seems to really nail it for me. And when I think about attachment, what it means is that last part in terms of how early childhood experiences and relationship really form the foundations for interpersonal functioning over time. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the motives for attachment theory came from trying to understand more about what drives us to affiliate with one another. So, yeah. and, and some of that we can see in animals. Yeah. Uh, that takes us to the homie, Conrad. 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 I don't know if they call him a homie necessarily. It's interesting learning about his life. And that just makes me think of the range of human experiences on this world. And yeah, yeah. And he had a life anyway. Turns out he was opposite Viktor Frankl. He was opposite of Viktor Frankl. Yeah. In the army. In the army, but on the, yeah, the other side. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty wild. And then lived in Soviet Armenia as a prisoner yeah. for four years. and POW. POW, man. At any for, rate. For the German army. Yeah. And he was, I think, an Australian zoologist is what I said. He yeah. Was, yeah. It's pretty interesting, interesting stuff. So... Um, at any rate, he, he kind of came up with this idea of imprinting, 
um, which is the phenomenon by which animals form extremely close independent bonds with the first animal they see after being born. Mm-hmm. This was in the thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, so he studied these little ducklings or these little geese after they were first born to see, um, who they would naturally gravitate toward. In his, one of his earlier studies, he essentially took a large clutch of goose eggs. There we go. <laughs> there it is. A large clutch of goose eggs separated half um, with the mother yeah. and then kept half um, essentially with himself in an incubator. Yeah. And then when the ones that, um, when they all hatched, the ones that went their mother naturally gravitate to the mom and the ones that were in the incubator when they hatched, he was making like geese sounds, I guess, yeah. and found that they naturally gravitated toward him. And so then he was kind of thinking that animals basically uh, gravitate or go toward the first animal that they see also learn that it could be an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. So it didn't have to be a, a person or an animal also. And, um, he also tested this theory later with those same, with that same large clutch of eggs, mm-hmm. or I guess they're now geese, right. And put them all under a box. And then when you remove the box, the ones that had imprinted with the mother naturally went to the mom. The ones that had imprinted with him naturally went to him as well. So that was kind of the, his, his theory was that again, animals go toward the first animal that they see. And the purpose of that was uh, survival mm-hmm. and meeting basic needs. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable what you can learn just, just by observing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And didn't he figure out, he figured out they could follow inanimate objects. Didn't you put like uh put like a, a box that they had imprinted on, on a train and then the train would go in circles <laughs> would and go around and they'd follow <laughs> the case. <laughs> just go in circles. Yeah. 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 So yeah, again, it didn't have to necessarily be an animal, but he found that they could imprint with an inanimate object and they would follow it around. Yeah. And his hypothesis again was for safety to meet basic needs, food, hunger, or food thirst, that kind of thing. Yeah. A lot of knowledge coming from Conrad. From Conrad and Conrad Lorenz. And this was important really because it sort of, um, it was the foundation that informed attachment theory. Yeah. And so uh, the biggest name associated with attachment theory is John Bowlby. Uh, and so he came along a couple decades later, um, about 15, 20 years after Lorenz. And he wanted to explain the drive uh, to affiliate. And he felt like psychoanalysts at that time um, had drifted into kind of these abstract esoteric energy drives and he felt like there was a lot more practical explanation for why it is we interact with each other the way that we do or what goes on psychologically. Hmm. And so he, uh, John Bowlby, he wrote three early papers, and these were in the late 50s and early 1960, that basically there's a human drive uh, that recognized this evolutionary pressure to find a secure foundation or a secure base, like a a source by which uh, the needs experienced by an infant could be provided for by a caretaker. And so he, he, his seminal work was a writing called a secure base in 1988 and basically summarized the ideas of attachment theory over time. So from the late fifties to the late eighties, he wrote and he passed away in the 1990s, but he saw attachment as a lasting psychological connectedness between human beings. And basically he defined that children are born with an innate drive to form an attachment with caregivers so that their vulnerabilities in the world could be provided for. So like the need for food, the need for safety could be provided for. 
And when nurturance and responsiveness was provided by the primary caregiver, um, the, the child or infant could produce an attachment that allowed for security for the child to then feel safe and explore the world. And so it's a pretty phenomenal work. Now, John Bowlby is often tied to it, but there's actually a study uh, done by an individual that, that produced a remarkable work um, whose name should be equally tied to it. Is that the homie? The homie. Mary? Mary. Mary Ainsworth. I learned that she's a Canuck. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff, huh? So I got to love the name <laughs> of her, uh, her, her experiment, I guess. It's referred to as the strange situation. Yeah. Why and do you love the strange situation? It's just a funny name for it. Like, it's, I guess maybe not funny. It's a very appropriately named uh experiment yeah. i guess right yeah have it's you been strange in situation strange situations maybe not as tightly controlled as the one she produced but uh <laughs> when i go through the kind of the stepwise approach to the experiment i think of like yeah this doesn't seem too <laughs> seems like life <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes sometimes when i'm with you you seem apt to create a strange situation <laughs> i create a lot of strange situations <laughs> in my life that's for sure yeah and i don't know that people respond in any one way uh, i think i think people love it <laughs> So, yeah, Bayless's strange situation is different than Ainsworth's. Ainsworth actually had a lot of, uh, you know, importance in the field of psychology. I just make people feel awkward. So she, I think it was in the 60s, right? She she kind of uh, organized the strange situation and published, published her findings in the 70s. And it looks like you can find this on YouTube as well. But essentially, she created a situation, the strange situation, where in a room, a mom and a child would basically be playing together, right? Yeah, playing with toys. And so like an early child, like a toddler. Youngster. Yeah. A youth. A, a young a, a youngster. A youngster. Or a toddler. Or a toddler. Um, and so then they would be playing together with toys, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, a stranger would join. Mm -hmm. And that stranger would also play with toys, mm -hmm. hang out for a little bit. Kind of interact on the, on the margins, on the outskirts. Kind of be around. That's the, kind of the strange part of the situation. Mother then leaves. Right. Um, and then the child and then the stranger are both in the room. Yeah. Mother then comes back. Right. Mother yeah. and child reunite. The stranger would then leave. So then the mom and the child are left to play again. Right. The mother then leaves. So the child's alone. Yeah. Child's all by themselves playing, hanging out alone in this world, alone in this world, which might be, I think, uh, Daniel's 2024 journal. <laughs> Alone in this world. Yeah, what was my great that I can't remember whatever ours was from last such into the wild is. Into the wild. <laughs> yeah. So after the child is alone for a bit, the stranger then returns and then after a little while the mother and the child reunite. And so I believe Mary Ainsworth would then look at the child's responses to the different comings mm -hmm. and goings of both the mother and the stranger, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And essentially then theorized or hypothesized. She, she described three different attachment styles, I believe. Um, she noted one was referred to as secure attachment style. And this is when there would be, uh, the child would experience distress when separated of, from the mother. They would be naturally avoidant of the stranger and then happy to reunite with the mother. Yeah, sounds secure. Sounds secure. She also then identified another one which was referred to as ambivalent. And um, this one, the child would experience intense distress when the mother left. They would also display a fear of the stranger. And then when the mom returned, the, the child would approach the mother, but would also reject contact. Yeah. So it seems like there's something important in that. Yeah. Kind of reach out for the mom. And then when the mom 
reach to pick up the child, the child kind of like turn away. Turn away, yeah, totally. So that one was referred to as ambivalent. And then the third one that she identified was referred to as avoidant. And this is where basically the child would show little to no reaction when mother leaves or returns. Yeah, they they got this. Yeah, Dan, Dan's suggesting that's actually the most healthy of the three styles. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mary messed up, secure, and avoided. Yeah, yeah. somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The secure attachment summary that you just read sounds kind of whiny to me. <laughs> the happy part to be back with the mom is yeah, a problem, yeah. right? The avoidant, <laughs> just kind of easy peasy. Take, just go take it as it goes. Take it as it goes, yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. interesting, of these three, um, and I think you're going to address a fourth that was later defined, but um, of these three, they actually later repeated, replicated these studies, the strange situation, and they tested uh, for cortisol levels. And they realized that in all conditions, like in all defined groups, uh, cortisol levels would elevate. So even in avoidant, it demonstrated little reaction or in ambivalent when they would reject the bid for connection and then just go back to playing. And even for secure, in all conditions, cortisol levels would be raised. So it's like uh, basically what you can learn from that is all children experience distress was basically whether what they believed that they could get from their caregiver in managing that distress oh gotcha yeah oh that's super interesting yeah yeah, yeah. i guess my my idea would have been that a person with secure attachment would have experienced less stress at the yeah. departure yeah. yeah and i think that was the hypothesis i think that's what drove the replication studies with the blood work yeah okay yeah so they measured measured stress and then found that in all three situations yeah, they were also equally, equally stressed. Equally stressed, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah, those were the three attachment styles that Mary Ainsworth proposed. In the 1980s, um, there was a fourth attachment style that was proposed by Maine and Solomon, and that's referred to as disorganized. Um, and in the disorganized attachment style, essentially a person would have variable responses. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is it would be both avoidant and anxious of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can, they kind of alternate between responses. Yeah. Yeah. In a disorganized fashion. In a disorganized fashion, yeah. yeah. And you think this is a secure one? I, I think that is actually the, <laughs> the one I avoid. <laughs> That's the one you avoid? Through security. You yeah. ambivalently avoid <laughs> ambivalently the disorganized. Avoid. <laughs> the disorganized yeah. Through security. <laughs> Security. Through security through the mechanism of uh, security through the mechanism of security that's how we do it nailed it yeah blammo so yeah overall attachment theory again um, focuses on those relationships and bonds particularly how they occur over time between mm-hmm. people um, including those between a parent and a child and also between romantic partners and it's a psychological explanation for the emotional bonds and relationships between two people mm-hmm. or between people essentially yeah so like uh Yeah. The value of talking about attachment is that you can develop awareness for patterns in relationships in your life. Um, You know, being Valentine's Day, we can we can observe Cody's pattern of making an oven pizza for for Jamie on Valentine's Day. We we can learn, you know, that's very disorganized attachment. Why you gotta do that, man? <laughs> I've already been crucified enough for that one. <laughs> oh, dude, there's oh, not enough crucifixion for that one. Um, I'll never live that down. No, there's so much information that can be gleaned from ways that we attach in our lives, um, and so a couple of key components 
that I think would be or important to introduce about attachment styles. And then we'll, we'll cover the four attachment styles as we understand them contemporaneously. But basically they have an influence, attachment styles have an influence on how we perceive and imagine emotional and sexual intimacy mm -hmm. in our lives. They influence how we interact around our own emotions and needs, choices to communicate emotions, choices to communicate needs. They influence how we respond to conflict in primary relationships. And they influence how, how we form internal working models for what to expect from relationships. Um, so th they have such a large influence on the way that we approach others, the way we think about others, the way we think about ourselves in relation to others, and our ideas about what we think we can trust or get from other people yeah gosh that's so important to outline or um highlight just like you're saying with the as far as how these inform patterns and relationships yeah. and, and, and that said i think there are some important caveats that uh, attachment styles can change over time they can be different in different contexts and um that basically there's like a, a matrix of the degree to which we either avoid or approach or we experience anxiety in relationships. And all of those things are malleable to, to, to an extent. And so that's important to know. They're malleable, like I said, over time, but also they can vary based on contacts or the types of relationships. So as we address that, those caveats are important to consider. Yeah, that, that also seems really important. The idea that attachment style can change over time and it would take um, uh, healthy conditions to do so. Mm -hmm. It would also take intention and that sort of thing. It kind of reminds me of our neuroplasticity episode and that I think of yeah. like attachment. If you were to grow up with a particular attachment style, doesn't mean that you're fixed in that. Yeah. It can, yeah. it can shift over time. Yeah. So with, yeah, with Mary Ainsworth, she kind of proposed those three, Main and Solomon proposed a fourth. That would be good if we maybe went through the four of those a little bit more in depth, mm -hmm. just for a better understanding of each style. Um, so we'll start with anxious. That's all right. Yeah. And, and anxious is the kind of the contemporaneous term. Like, uh, that was her term for, and she used the term ambivalent and it's a little clearer if we use the term anxious currently. So, um, anxious be low on the avoidance spectrum, high on the anxiety spectrum, right? Yeah. And some of those characteristics that you might experience or see in relationships, one is a longing for intimacy, but insecure about their partner's interest. Mm -hmm. might also find themselves insecure and preoccupied with relationships. Might be a lot of questions of how things are mm -hmm. trying to understand what's going on with the other person might be a really deep fear of abandonment mm -hmm. also, or find themselves really worried about abandonment. It also could be that if there are issues from the past that are unresolved, uh, a person might find themselves preoccupied with those as well and trying to resolve those or like trying to find ways to work through those. Mm -hmm. um, also, Folks who find themselves in the anxious, um, with an anxious attachment style might be emotional, argumentative, controlling, and angry. Might find themselves blaming the other person a lot, a lot or very uncooperative and trying to find resolution with things and uh, are really inconsistent with children. Yeah. So, so, 
it's important to know this is this occurs on a spectrum yeah yeah and it's not all one thing or another yeah yeah and just to throw in there the i I believe the understanding around developing an anxious pattern uh, or an anxious attachment style is largely considered as the result of inconsistent parenting also Mm -hmm. so be a parent who's very attuned at times and also very misattuned Mm -hmm. misaligned at times also Mm -hmm. yeah and then uh so avoidant if that's the second style we go through so avoidant there's high level of avoidance but a low level of anxiety in relationships um the characteristics of an individual that experiences avoidant attachment is that they're uncomfortable with closeness uh, they value freedom and have difficulty at times trusting others they're emotionally distanced they prefer autonomy they're unable to depend on a partner or be dependent upon. They're uncomfortable talking about emotions. They prefer to be self-sufficient and having alone time. They like during times of crisis, they kind of take charge. They slip into a real cognitive frame and remain unemotional. Um, and so these are people that basically learn uh, in order for my need to be met, I'm just going to take care of it myself. Mm. Uh, that makes sense because when I'm reading that last bullet point, I was thinking, oh, I wonder why that is. Because I would think that a person with avoidance would naturally want to get away from the crisis or just like avoid it in a sense. Yeah, I, I think I think for an anxious person, they're worried about if someone's going to show up or not. If you think about kind of the origins of it, like you mentioned for anxious the parents were inconsistent. And so what they're anxious about is, is this going to be a time where the person shows up or not? Mm. The avoidant person learned that their parent typically wasn't available most often. And so what they learn is I have this need or this distress and the only way to get rid of it is actually through independently managing it. And so both of them kind of come from that ideology of that, you know, how the primary relationship went early on. Gotcha. So when you're mentioning like kind of prefers autonomy, I think of a person maybe self-sufficient, that sort mm-hmm. of thing might be, um, yeah, more likely to take charge in a crisis and remain unemotional through it sort of thing. Yeah. Get, yep. this, get this done. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's interesting. Disorganized is the next one. So this would be a person who's both high on the avoidance scale and then high on the anxiety scale. Yikes. Yes. And yeah. And it's a mixed bag, right? Yeah. Um, and some of the characteristics in relationships here might, <clears throat> might include a person being insecure about their partner's interest and uncomfortable with intimacy. They might also be unable to tolerate emotional closeness or manage emotions and they can form abusive dysfunctional relationships can also lack empathy and might take emotions out on children or others leading to more disorganized attachments. And so I always heard of this style as kind of like the come closer, no further mm-hmm. kind of kind of approach. And so it can be very confusing or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like uncertain for people living in relationship to disorganized attachment because it's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of back and forth. Right. Yeah. And this came from mostly indifference. So different than avoidance, there may have been bids for connection and the parent was semi-present but just didn't provide the need. Um, the disorganized mostly comes from kind of indifference from the parent indifference. Yeah. Okay. So that'd be sort of the ideology for that attachment style. Yeah. Cool. And then the fourth one secure, you want to take us through that one? Yeah. Come on. Uh, yeah. So mine secure it's, uh, Mm -hmm. low on avoidance and low at low on anxiety. So, uh, the characteristics of an individual that experiences secure attachment is that they're not fearful of rejection, but also not fearful of intimacy. They're inter- interdependent in relationships and reciprocal. 
They're available when needed emotionally. They do not feel rejected when a partner needs separateness or they kind of understand the distinction between themselves and the person across from them. They're trusting and tolerant of differences uh, between them and the other individual. And they're not overly or unnecessarily upset in response to relationship issues. Uh, typically, they're a warm and caring parent. So a lot of desirable qualities. Yeah. And you mentioned that was your attachment style. Yeah. Clearly. And so, uh, yeah, those would be the four, just to kind of give an outline of the four attachment styles that have been outlined. Again, Mary Ainsworth um, identifying the ambivalent style or anxious avoidant and then disorganized and then made or sorry and secure and main and solomon identifying that disorganized attachment style yeah um so with each of these styles too there's also some vulnerabilities yeah so th this these are kind of like in thinking about this in the three styles other than secure they're kind of things you can work on so what you mentioned a moment ago about how it resembles neuroplasticity in terms of there's there's a degree of influence you can have on your attachment style in your primary relationships. So if you notice that you have tendencies in one direction or another, and we're going to provide information for how to assess this for yourself. Mm. But if, if you recognize you have a certain style different than secure, um, there are these vulnerabilities occur that you can actually push yourself to grow in and kind of close the gap or mm. be more secure in your attachment. Yeah, that seems really important. So some of the vulnerabilities with an anxious style, um, you know, again, we talk about that increase in anxiety. There's a lot of rumination, preoccupation. Mm -hmm. um, there's a need for reassurance in a lot of ways. Um, someone who finds for somebody who finds themselves in that attachment style, a good um, direction would be to work on grounding. So when a person's feeling anxious, it's simply to work on grounding and then allowing for separation and distinction as individuals in important relationships. So it's being able to differentiate you and me mm -hmm. and, and trying to take away some of that like overlap or maybe enmeshment in some way also. Yeah, like that's a good way to say it, enmeshment to kind of actually learn how to satiate your own distress separate from always relying on the person across from you to provide validation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so some of the ways for an, in, an avoidant individual, some of the, the vulnerabilities they experience are that they're going to want to limit what they end up sharing. So in terms of intimacy, they put kind of a ceiling on, on, on that and they limit um, sharing what they're thinking and feeling, um, maybe really selective about who they choose to share with. And these individuals, if you want to work on becoming more secure, they, you work on opening up you're sharing your thoughts and feelings in important relationships and uh, initiating interactions. Sometimes an avoidant person may rely on the other person initiating interaction to trust that there's a desire for the interaction. Um, so the things that avoidant person can work on basically sharing yourself. And, um, you know, if you want to reach out to someone or connect with someone taking initiative with that. Yeah. And that could be hard to do. huh? Yeah. And so for folk, uh, for folks, <laughs> for a person in a disorganized attachment style, um, developing awareness and all of these is super important for a person with disorganized attachment and say to learn to recognize the difference between anxious responses and avoidant responses, uh, highlighting consistent, stable relationships and understanding what is working there so that it can be amplified or built upon and also working on opening up more at times and grounding self at other times. Yeah. So again, it's kind of that combination of both the anxious style and the avoidance style and it's understanding when, when I'm dipping into one of those styles, yeah. understanding, should I be grounding? Um, 
trying to find secure footing here or is this a, a time for me to actually approach and open up yeah yeah which can be a tricky balance to strike but possible right yeah it can be done you said something that was interesting when we were going over this is you kind of have to have context by which there is secure security in the environment so particularly in the therapy space, like a therapist is going to be working to provide an environment where an individual displaying one of these attachment styles can approach the work they need to do in a very comfortable way. Yeah. Or if you pause and reflect on what relationships you feel safest in, those may be the relationships that you try and push yourself in the, in the ways that feel challenging. If you notice one of these styles. Yeah. Yeah. And so for a, a securely attached person, there's not a whole lot of work um, <laughs> in the way that we're talking about work. Um, basically, a secure individual, uh, you know, you continue to maintain and recognize the difference between yourself and others. So recognizing separateness, but also interdependence and and balancing uh, that intimacy with that separateness and, and secure individuals uh, that comes a little easily for a little more easily for and is uh, more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Voila. Well, it yeah. sounds like some good directions. And I guess, you know, for me, I'd wonder uh, if I wasn't in therapy and wasn't addressing my attachment style, how mm -hmm. would I learn about my attachment style? Where mm -hmm. could I yeah. learn more? Your disorganized attachment style? My disorganized approach, <laughs> yeah, to relationships. <laughs> um, well, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of information out there about attachment styles, which I guess is kind of both a, a good and a bad thing. So you kind of want to sift through information, use some discernment. But we're going to include on the link in, in, or in the description of this episode, we'll include links to some quizzes you can take that will provide information. Also, if you can just be reflective. So mm -hmm. based on some of the descriptions and the summaries we've provided or that you can read about, uh, you want to kind of assess, how do I show up in relationships? Um, am I anxious about whether I'm gonna be rejected or not? Do I limit how much I share with others or the ways that I choose to share? You know, Do I feel all over the place? Or is it pretty easy for me to balance intimacy and separateness? Um, so through reflection, through quizzes and information that way, um, particularly you're going to want to focus on your, your early life relationships. So some key questions can be about, you know, what, uh, what are my relationships like with my parents or my primary caregivers? What memories do I have of early life? Sometimes limited memories of early life can be representative of, um, you know, not feeling very safe in your environment. Mm. Um, and then following through on the suggestions for each style. Uh, so basically, you know, if you feel avoidant, approaching more, if you feel anxious, working on your grounding, if you feel disorganized, learning to differentiate the two. And if you're secure, just keep doing you. Just letting it ride. Huh? Letting it ride. Letting it ride. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting when you bring up the family of origin stuff. And I think of going back to those early childhood experiences, kind of bit into the beginning of our episode and understanding like... Um, the importance of something like imprinting and then understanding the importance of those early childhood experiences and how they form sort of um, a framework for how a person might mm -hmm. approach relationships from a social emotional kind of kind of way yeah yeah it really is kind of a profound theory and you know i'd encourage people to read more about it or to understand yourself more in this paradigm uh just to learn and grow in the world bowlby he basically looked at freud's theory of psychoanalysis analysis and like uh psychosexual drives 
I was like, oh, that feels like we're talking about these energies that are just out in the universe. And he wanted to put more practical application. He said, he said evolutionarily, we all have this vulnerability we feel. Mm-hmm. When we're born, we can't take care of ourselves. Totally. And that desire to find a secure base um, is huge and yeah. uh, has an influence on the entirety of our life, despite his focus on just the early first years. Yeah. So looking at those early life relationships and our primary family relationships, it's critical. Yeah. 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 And it's encouraging too, to reflect back on what you're saying earlier, as far as, um, it's also not fixed. And so, yeah, if you find yourself having grown up with a certain detachment style that informs uh, relationships going particular ways where you find yourself anxious, avoidant, or disorganized, Mm -hmm. that that can shift over time. Yeah. It does take intention in a, in a, a right context for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. just another quick caveat about maybe our topic today. I would think just like you were saying, there's so much more information out there. And for us to do a quick and nerdy on attachment is to miss a lot of what is out there and that sort of thing. So this really is intended just to give you sort of like a introduction to attachment styles and some yeah. of the theory behind it. And, uh, like Dan was saying, we'll provide more information to learn more. Yeah. All right, why don't you take us out by shouting us out? No doubt. You can always find us on the interwebs, www.beyondflag.com, flag spelt, F-L-G. You can also find us on the Arizona Daily Sun. Yeah, yeah A6. Come on. A6, man, we out there. We we are on the newspaper. February 13th, 2024. 2024, Maverick and Goose. Yeah, we showed up at Cooler Runnings this year and had a fun time. Good times. Good times. So you can find us out there. And scene. Love you. <laughs> Take care. So, uh, yeah, maybe why don't you share with us some of the core memories you have of your relationship with your mother? All my needs met all the time. I love you, mom. <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> One of our two listeners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.